NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Mock, and you're listening to Pot of Fame. Podcast where we break down the crews of former athletes and decide whether or not they should get a call to the hall. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Super Bowl Sunday as I record this. Um, I'm not going to bore you on what I think is going to happen tonight because by the time you're listening to this, it'll be Monday or later in the week. You could still be nursing that Super Bowl hangover. When will they make the Monday after the Super Bowl a holiday? I think we're getting there. You know, you push the Super Bowl back one more week. We got President's Day weekend. We can make this work. But right now, you have work today or you just finished the day when you're listening. So you got through it. But Super Bowl's over real quick. I think the Eagles are going to win. If they don't, well, you already know I'm wrong. But today's podcast is not going to be about the Super Bowl. And it's not going to be about any particular uh, player today in their Hall of Fame can see. But it's going to be about the 2023 football Hall of Fame class. Uh, Last Thursday, at the end of a two-hour NFL Honors uh, TV broadcast, they announced the class of 2023, and there are nine nine members of this class. Uh, Eight eight players, eight former players, and then one coach. And uh, these players will be inducted into the Hall of Fame August 5th, so this summer in Ken. the names, I, I wouldn't say shock me uh, that much. We'll go through, we'll run through everyone that got elected today and I'll give my quick thoughts on them. Um, but there's still some big names that were not elected that will have to wait to the 2024 class, uh, as well as some big newcomers in the 2024 class. So really quickly to run through the names of the class of 2023, for those of you maybe that were unaware, uh, Joe Thomas, the great Cleveland Browns left tackle, was inducted his first year on the ballot, as was Daryl Rivas, uh, the cornerback for the Jets, Patriots, and Tampa Bay. He was elected his first uh, time on the ballot. Demarcus Ware got in this year, the great pass rusher for the Cowboys and the Broncos. The great cornerback, Rondé Barber, finally got in. He's been waiting a very long time. I thought he was way overdue, as well as, speaking overdue, Zach Thomas, uh, the great middle linebacker for those Miami Dolphins teams of the 90s. So those are the five modern air players that got uh, invited to be in the Hall of Fame. They're going to be inducted. So four defensive and one left tackle. And then we get to the uh, Veterans Committee, who this year voted three players in, former players. There was Joe Klecko um, from the, of course, New York Sack Exchange, the great defensive lineman for the Jets who played a number of positions. Uh, Ken Riley a cornerback for the Bengals who's been waiting forever and unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Him and his 65 interceptions are finally getting in. Bengals fans can can finally put stop putting up that fight and maybe shift their, their attention to Ken Anderson to get in the hall next for Bengals. And then Chuck Howley, who retired like 50 years ago, a great linebacker, uh, won a Super Bowl MVP on a losing team. He got in. He is Luckily, still alive, even though he retired 50 years ago. Uh, so he will be around uh, this summer uh, for, for his bust in the induction ceremony. And then finally, uh, a coach was also elected, uh, the late, great Don uh, Coriel. He is is in. Um, he is someone who, I would say, a pioneer of like a pass-first offense. Uh, he was down there in San Diego when the Chargers were still there. Um, with Dan Fouts, and their offense was out of control, their aerial offense. 
you know, I, I'm sure people will argue and say someone before him was, you know, slinging the ball around from an offensive standpoint, but Don really was the guy who I consider the pioneer of kind of an air out offense um, with Fouts, with Winslow down there, uh, Jefferson, Joyner. They, they had a, a offense that put up an incredible amount of points. Um, so he finally got in, but he did pass away years ago. Um, so he, you know, will have to be accepted by his family there, but nine individuals are getting into the hall on August 5th. Um, and what I'm going to do, do today on the podcast again is, is kind of give my brief thoughts on each of these players. And then we're going to look at the 2024 class. So that is the pod today. Uh, next week, we will have a normal episode uh, that goes through the candidacy of a player who's on the outside looking in. It will be a basketball player. We're going to shift over to talk some basketball. Um, but that's today's pod. So um, with the, I guess, quote unquote, quick facts out of the way, uh, let's go to the nine cannons. All right. So let's start with the the first ballot, guys. Everyone gets a kick out of the first ballot um, or really hones in on that. I, I don't think for the football hall of fame, it means the same as like the baseball hall of fame being first ballot, but it still means something and people care. So let's start with the first two players that were the, I guess, quote unquote headliners. Cause this was their first year on the ballot and they're automatically in uh, Joe Thomas, uh, again, former left tackle for the Cleveland Browns. I, I think this was a no brainer. I didn't think, even though he's a left tackle and offensive lineman don't get love. I don't think there was any chance he was not going to get in. Um, I'm not going to spend too much time on Joe Thomas because we have a full episode on Joe Thomas. So if you want more info, episode 104, go check that out. But I'll give a very high level overview of his just dominate, dominant career. You know, he played 11 years in the league. He made 10 Pro Bowls. The, the only year he didn't make the Pro Bowls when he got injured seven games into the season, which ended his career because Joe Thomas was basically the, the Cal Ripken Jr. Uh, of offensive linemen in the NFL. He, you know, started his career, um, his rookie season, first game with the Browns, and then he never missed a snap, never missed a snap, not a game, a snap, until he had that season-ending injury that turned out to be the last play of his career. So he never, there was never a snap he was available for that he missed. 10,363 consecutive snaps. Um, and then he tore his tricep and then in 2017, and then he retired. So... Um, when he played, he was a pro bowler. He was also a six time AP first team, all pro two time AP second team, all pro, which means he was one of the best left tackles, uh, across the whole NFL, basically his entire career. Uh, the big thing against Joe Thomas, right? The only thing you can hold against him, which he's just a left tackle here. He never played in a playoff game, his entire career. He never played in one playoff game. And to play, you know, 11 seasons in the NFL and never participate in a playoff game is not the best look. Um, but if you look at those Browns rosters he was a part of, that was no fault of his. Um, he led up 30 career sacks uh, during what? Uh, 10,363 snaps. So he quote unquote messed up 30 times. That's, that's a pretty damn good career. So Joe Thomas... He is the gold standard of a left tackle of what you want. He's the best left tackle we've seen uh, in quite some time. And it'll take someone coming along now 
it'll take a lot to surpass him recently. I mean, you know, before Joe Thomas, there was that whole cluster, right, of the Walter Jones, the Willie Rofes, the Orlando Paces, um, the Jonathan Ogdens, those type of guys. And then it was really Joe Thomas. And, and again, it's going to take a lot to surpass, you know, 16, six-time AP first-team all-pro. That's more first-team all-pros than all those other guys I just named. Um, no one got to six out of those guys. So Joe Thomas is a, a rare um, all-timer at the left tackle position, and he rightfully got in his first ballot. And again, episode 104, we talk a lot more about his career, so go check that out. The other first ballot guy is someone I don't think was as a sure thing, but um, I'm not shocked at all. I predicted he would get in this year. Uh, and that is Daryl Revis. Uh, of course, Revis Island is what you know we all think of when we think of him. And we think of his shutdown corners uh, or corner years with the, the New York Jets. He also you know, had a cup of tea in Tampa. Um, he won a Super Bowl in New England. And then he finished out his career with the Jets. And actually, uh, you know, I kind of forgot about this, but he played five games for the Kansas City Chiefs in 2017, but then he was out of the league at 32. But when Darrell Revis was at his peak, um, there was no one better. He was the best corner in football for – you know, I would say a three, four-year stretch from probably 2008 to 2011, definitely 2009 to 2011. Uh, there was no one better. And, you know, he was first team APL pro all those years. He made four in his career. He was a pro bowler all those years. He almost won defensive player of the year in 2009 when he had 31 uh, passes defended and six interceptions. This was his best year by far. The whole thing with Daryl Revis, though, I think, the change the way I looked at corners is before Revis, a great cornerback was one that got a bunch of interceptions, right? That led the league in interceptions. You know, when I think of some of the great cornerbacks of all time, I think of the Charles Woodsons, the Deion Sanders, um, those type of guys. And those guys all have well over 50 interceptions uh, for their career. And, and they were always near the top of many of their seasons. You know, the most interceptions there Revis ever had was six in 2009. The following year, when he was AP first team all pro, he had zero interceptions, 10 passes defended. And if you look back now, right, and, and you didn't see him play, you don't know much about him, you're like, well, why was this guy so, um, I guess, why do we all think of him as the best corner in the league? He's not picking balls off. Darius was the first person where I feel like quarterbacks made a conscious effort not to throw to his side of the field. He, there's, there's, you know, you know, you say shut down corners because they shut down the opposing wide receiver. Revis was a shut down corner because he shut down a side of the field and quarterbacks just didn't even make their reads that way. They would look the opposite way. Um, and that's what made him so special. And he was the first person where I didn't just look at the interception totals to see, you know, how great of a player he was, but I looked at, um, you know, just the eye test and what quarterbacks did and how they avoided him. Because Revis only has 29 career interceptions. 29. Every other cornerback in the Hall of Fame has over 40. 40 or over. He has 29, yet first ballot kind of guy. And that just attests to how great he was when he was on the field and how dominant he was and how he was the best corner for several years in the NFL. And I came across an article that really, you know, when you're not talking about interceptions, it, it just talks about how, how great he was. In, in 2009, he went up against, and at this point, there's some all-time wide receivers. I'm looking at this list. You can make an argument five, six of these guys, seven of these guys are Hall of Famers. Um, 
in 2009, he against Randy Moss twice, Terrell Owens twice, Chad Johnson, or I think he was calling himself Ocho Cinco at that point twice, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, uh, Marquise Colston, Steve Smith, Rodney White, Mike Sims Walker. It's kind of a weird name to throw him there, but he's in the stat too. All those players he versed all year, their average across all of those all-time greats and Mike Sims Walker was he let up 2.9 receptions and 26.4 yards per game against all those guys for that season. I mean, you think even if Randy Moss skewed it a little bit or like, there's no skewing here. If you shut down Mike Sims Walker, it's not skewing enough. There's a lot. That's a big sample size there of players. That's four times against Tio and Moss combined. That's twice against Chad Johnson, Andrew Johnson, Reggie Wayne. Those guys are up for the hall of fame this year. Steve Smith, like 2.9 receptions and 26.4 yards, receiving yards against Revis that year. That's That seems almost impossible, um, yet he did it. So, you know, do I think Darrell Revis should have been a first ballot? Again, I even, even though I just made the whole spiel about he made interceptions, not a thing, 29 is very low for a cornerback. Even with the, oh, they don't throw your side. They still throw sometimes. Um, I mean, in, in 2011, he had four picks, but he defended 21 passes or in 2014 with, uh, new England, he had two picks, 14 pass defended, like they're throwing his way at times. Um, but he was more preventing offense from moving forward than, you know, getting a turnover. That's, you know, that was his calling card. Um, shutting down the side of the field was a calling card. I have no problem with him being first ballot. I just, I do like to see those pick numbers a little higher, but again, he kind of changed the game where I look at interceptions a little differently. Sometimes when they have low counts now, I'm like, well, maybe they just didn't have the opportunity. And now with more advanced stats, we can see how many times, you know, a player's actually thrown at. So when we're looking at the, the newer corners of the day, the sauce gardeners of the world, we can really tell, you know, were people throwing his when he was just shutting them all down um, or, or, you know, with something else going on there. So Darrell Revis, first bout Hall of Famer, no problem with that. Him and Thomas, a great class of first-timers. Now, the third guy I want to talk about is Demarcus Ware. And he's a guy who came in the bout last year who I thought should have been in immediately. This guy was a nine-time Pro Bowler, first-team AP uh, All-Pro uh, four different times, right? Uh, Second-team All-Pro three times. But the numbers, I mean, they're off the charts. 138.5 career sacks, 171 tackles for loss. He's top 10 across both of those categories. Um, he had a season in 2008 where he led the league in both sacks with 20 and tackles for loss with 21. So that means he was hitting someone in the backfield over 40 times in a career. Like, we don't see that many game wreckers like this. Um, he truly was an absolute menace. I remember when he got drafted out of Troy. I was like, who who the hell is playing at Troy that warrants first round draft status? And and he quickly became one of the best defenders in the league. He led the league in sacks twice. Um, he won that Super Bowl with the Broncos. And in that Super Bowl, he had two sacks, four quarterback hits. And again, that's near the end of his career. He's doing that with the Broncos. So he had a, a great career with the Cowboys, an excellent time in Denver. Everywhere he went, he was just, you know, he was a double digit sack guy every year. And one of the best pass rushers I've seen in my life and was a surefire Hall of Famer to me. And again, I'm a little shocked it took him to this year. Um, you know, if I were to give head-to-head to, -head to 
DeMarcus Ware versus Revis, I'd probably give Ware the edge over Revis. But again, both of them were always going to be Hall of Famers. No one's going to remember 10 years from now if Ware was a first or second ballot guy, but deservedly so, he is in the Hall. So those three first individuals I named, you know, they had to wait either no time or a year. Uh, the other two have had to wait a bit. And again, Hall of Fame's tough to get into, but the cases for both of these individuals I'm about to talk about are, are all-time cases. So Rondé Barber, right, uh, finally gets in the Hall of Fame. I, somehow I feel like he's the less famous of the Barber brothers, Tiki and Rondé, but Rondé was always the better player. Um, and I don't think T's getting the Hall of Fame. I'll do a podcast on him one day, but Rondé was always going to be in the Hall of Fame for me. But yeah, he took a long time. He was a guy who was a three-time uh, AP first-team All-Pro and a two-time AP second-team All-Pro. But he he's a guy who was a in, in that cover two defense in, in Tampa. He was an excellent corner who did everything he needed to do. And then he also, you know, he played within the team, but then he also got his numbers. You know, 47 career interceptions, 28 career sacks. Northern quarterback in NFL history has over 45 picks, 25 sacks. He's the only one, so he could do both. And again, that 47 number, that's what I expect out of my cornerbacks there. He had 1,251 career tackles. That's the most ever by a cornerback in NFL history. So right now, he's the only cornerback in NFL history to get 28 sacks, you know, over 25 sacks with 28 and over 45 picks with 47. And then he also has the most tackles by a corner in NFL history. He has 12 defensive touchdowns. During his career. So he's a playmaker. He has the eighth most interception return touchdowns of all time with eight. And the fourth most fumble return touchdowns of all time with four. Kind of funny how that lines up, right? So the guy played extremely well in the scheme he was put in. He put up huge numbers in that scheme. He has the most tackles ever. Some of the most defensive touchdowns ever. And he's a part of one of the more famous defenses of ever. That Tampa Bay defense that won the Super Bowl. Yet, it took him a very long time to get in. I believe he retired, I want to say back in 2012. Let me bring it up really quick. Yes, 2012, he retired. And he's just getting in now. Again, important thing is he's in. But when you look at that great Tampa defense that won the Super Bowl, there was, of course, Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, John Lynch. And now Rondé Barber is the fourth member of that Super Bowl team to get in. But in the in the backfield, or uh, I'm sorry, in the de- yeah, in the defensive backfield, you know, I'm putting Ronnie Barber over John Lynch any day. And to be honest, I'd probably put Ronnie Barber over Warren Sapp as well. Derek Brooks is the only one I would put over Barber. And he's the fourth member of that defense to get put in. Now, I don't know if it's because Ronnie Barber was not the typical corner we see today that's hockey, running his mouth, um, calling everyone out. And again, the cornerbacks that do that, a lot of them, they, they can, they should, they're some of the best. Ronnie Barber was never doing that. He just was that kind of consistent professional that came in, did his job, and then also happened to put up all-time numbers in the position. Uh, Ronnie Barber, to me, was a no-brainer for the Hall of Fame. Uh, he is finally in. I'm happy for him. Um, so congratulations to, to Barber and, and his family. And the final guy is a guy I did episode back, uh, episode 97 on. Um, cause I couldn't understand why he was in the hall of fame. And that's Zach Thomas, uh, the great middle linebacker of the Miami dolphins. 
And Thomas retired all the way back in 2008. So he's been waiting even longer. And this is a guy who's a five-time AP first team all pro. Okay. Five-time AP first team all pro. We look at the players inducted this year. Only Joe Thomas has more AP first team all pros with six. Ware had four. Revis had four. Barber had three. Thomas had five, along with two-time, you know, two second-team All-Pro teams. Yet it took him this long to get in. I'll never really understand it. He is the ultimate tackler. He has the fifth most tackles since 1987 in NFL history with 1,734. He led the NFL in tackles twice. He was just consistently the guy who was always around the ball on those Miami Dolphins teams that were always in the playoffs. You know, Jason Taylor was on that team, who's in the Hall of Fame. The great Sam Madison was on that team. They had some really good defensive players, but Zach Thomas, I felt like, made that team run. And we're talking about, you know, players from the air. He played 96-2008, the middle linebackers. I think this is what hurt Zach. Ray Lewis was playing there in that time, uh, who's one of the best middle linebackers, if not the best middle linebacker of all time. You know, Dick Buckus wants to have a award there, but he's in the conversation, probably number one. And then there's Brian Urlacher of my Chicago Bears, who was super exciting. Like, not that Zach Thomas wasn't, but like Urlacher was 6'4, who was an ex-safety who was playing linebacker, who flew around the field like a safety. Zach Thomas was 5'11, maybe 5'10, um, kind of stout, just running around, making the right plays, hitting the gaps. Brian Urlacher, I think, was flashier. He played for a Bears team that made the Super Bowl because of their defense. Uh, and he was a household name because middle linebackers for the Bears are just household names. Buckkiss, Singletary. You go back all the way to Bill George, the original middle linebacker. Like, we have this lineage of middle linebackers. Not to say that Miami doesn't have their own lineage, but I, I think Urlacher benefited from that. I think he benefited from being, you know, the monsters of Midway Chicago teams. Zach Thomas was kind of, you know, Marino's the quarterback of some of those Dolphins teams early on. So that's where the spotlight is. But Urlacher made five AP first-team All-Pros, never led the league in tackles. Zach Thomas made one more than him and, you know, led the league in tackles twice more. Was Zach Thomas better than Urlacher? As a Bears fan, I don't think I can answer that question. But were they basically the same? Yeah. Um, so for Urlacher to get in basically without waiting and Zach to wait, again, the voters have to explain that to one me. I don't. Um, but... They're both in now. They both deserve to be in. And again, the linebacker rankings for that air, it's it's Ray Lewis and then it's Thomas and Urlacher neck and neck. If I had to pick who to watch, it'd be Urlacher. He was just very exciting. I'm a Bears fan. But production-wise and Hall of Fame resume-wise, Urlacher has the Defensive Player of the Year award on him. But other than that, I think Zach Thomas beats him across the board. So glad Zach's in again. Episode 97, if you want to hear me ramble more about Zach, but he is in. So those are the five modern air inductees, four defensive players, and a left tackle. So skill positions on offense got shut out this year. And that's all right, because these guys all, all are well more than deserving to be in the Hall of Fame. There's no controversy in any of these. These are all yeses for me immediately. Um, now let's go on to the senior committee. So senior committee picked three individual players this year, which is great. A lot of players in. Um, let's start with Joe Klecko, um, New York Stack Exchange fame. So he's the first member of that New York Stack Exchange to get in. Um, 
which again is one of the more famous, I think, ensembles of defensive linemen to ever play. And Joe gets in. I mean, he was, I, I would say, the leader of that that kind of New York sack exchange line. But he was also just one of the most versatile defensive players that we've ever had in the game. You know, you see cornerbacks moving to safety later in their career, and you see linemen move around a bit. But Joe moved around a lot on the line and excelled every time he moved. It wasn't he shifted and played a little worse in certain places. I'm sure if you ask a Jets fan, he'll be like, oh, Joe is the best at nose tack or D tack or D end. But the guy played all three of those positions and he played at a pro bowl level at all three of those positions. And he actually was an all pro first team at two of the three. And then, Oh, made the second team all pro at another position. So was an all pro at three different positions on the line. That's never happened before 78 career sacks. Probably could have had more if he were to stay on the outside and DN, but again, did what the team needed plays, nose tackle plays D tackle when he needs it. Um, I think it took him a while probably because, again, the sack total is not super sexy, even though he led the NFL 20.5 one year when he was playing, you know, D-end. Again, I think that sack total is much higher uh, if he sticks at D-end. You know, those Jets teams never won a Super Bowl or anything, so he doesn't have that. You know, he can't hang his hat on that, but he was one of the strongest players in the league when he was playing. He had perfect technique. You know, he used great leverage. Um in my head, someone that versatile that excels at all those positions, that just, that's an extra like item on the resume that not many people have. And I think needs to be more, honestly, I think we need to look at that um, with a little more relevance. Like Joe Klecko and any NFL player that does this, right. That sacrifices maybe what he wants for the team. Um, and then again, it's, an extra cherry on top that he benefits, you know, he's just as good. I think that goes a long way. And he's been a Jets player that I think Jets fans have been waiting to get in the Hall of Fame. So super happy, um, super happy for him that he's in. And again, he's the only player to make all pro at three different positions. He's the second player in NFL history to make a pro ball at all three or at three different positions. And the player that did that was the great Frank Gifford. Um, so again, we had to go back to when football was a little different. I mean, Frank Gifford started his career in 1952. So there's still a lot of people playing both ways there. So I can kind of understand how that all happened. Um, but he was the other one to make three uh, a Pro Bowl at three different positions. Um, so shout out Frank Gifford. All right. So moving on, Ken Riley, Cincinnati Bengals have finally gotten their second player in the hall of fame after Anthony Muniz insane. Whenever I talk to Bengals fans, how are there only one Bengals player in the hall of fame? Your franchise has been around for quite a bit. They will give you all kinds of things, but Ken Riley's always been near the top of the list of players that deserved it. Um, he was a great corner for them who again had 65 career interceptions. Um, that's still good for fifth all time in career interceptions. Same number as the great Charles Woodson. If you look at that list, right, right behind Ken Riley on that list are Ed Reed and Ronnie Lott some of the best ball hawks of all time. Right ahead of him is Night Train Lane. Of course, still the record holder for most interceptions in a season. So the company he keeps his all-time company, and he was the only one that was kind of the outlier there. But at some point, you got to look at them and be like, okay, he was doing something right. Now, the crazy thing about Ken Riley is he never made a Pro Bowl. We're just talking about Joe Klecko. He's making Pro Bowl at three different positions. Ken Riley never made a Pro Bowl. However, 
He was an AP first team all pro one year and a second team all pro member two different years. So the all pro team is above a pro bowl because it's across the whole NFL. So something had to be going on kind of suspiciously with the pro bowl voting because that doesn't make sense. You can make in my head, the pro bowl, but not the all pro team. You can't make the all pro team and then not the pro bowl. So something's fishy there. I think that could have definitely dissuaded hall of fame voters fair or not from voting for him, but the guy has the career numbers. Um, you really can't, you really can't hide 65 career picks. He had a year where he had nine interceptions in 1976, eight interceptions in 1983. Um, and then he had a lot of years where he was just consistently in the five and four range for some Bengals teams that were making the playoffs during, you know, that time. And he had three playoffs in the, or three interceptions in the playoffs as well for the Bengals. Uh, Ken Riley, again, unfortunately passed away on June 7th, 2020 at the age of 72. So he unfortunately will not be able to see this day, but his family, uh, I'm sure will be there to, to represent him um, for his induction. Uh, and I'm glad for Bengals fans he's in and, and Ken Riley as well. He deserved it. 65 interceptions. He might be fifth for the rest of time. Cause it's just the way quarterbacks are smarter with the ball today, the way the rules are more skewed to the offense uh, interception totals do not, you know, get as high as they used to for the most part. Um, and it's going to be really tough for someone to get up to 65. Again, going back to Darrell Revis again, this is not a knock on Darrell, but Darrell had 29 re or 29 interceptions. It might be more that right quarterbacks catch on. And if you're a great cornerback that is picking the ball, if they stop throwing your way and then you just don't have the opportunities. Um, so yeah, Ken Riley 65 might stay at fifth all time. For the rest of the time. And again, if you're top five in a main category like that, you're a Hall of Fame player. Finally, the last player I'm going to talk about uh, that has made the Hall of Fame is uh, the great linebacker um, of the Dallas Cowboys, Chuck Holly. Uh, he's famous. You know, he's part of that doomsday defense that doesn't get that much love, but was a great defense back um, when he played for him. He's a, a guy who made five all pro first teams. So like Zach Thomas, I guess for Zach Thomas's sake, it's glad he wasn't forgotten this long. Chuck Holly is waiting 50 years to get in the Hall of Fame since he retired, but he was a five-time All-Pro first-teamer. Again, that's more than DeMarcus Ware at linebacker. That's more than someone like Derek Thomas at linebacker. Derek Brooks, the great Derek Brooks, only had five first-team all, um, first All-Pros. Only seven outside linebackers in, in NFL history have five uh, All-Pro first-teams. So again, he's in hallowed company there and just never for some reason was always overlooked. He also won a Super Bowl MVP when he had two interceptions um, in the Super Bowl, but they lost that Super Bowl. Uh, I believe that was Super Bowl number five. They lose to Baltimore 13-16. Again, that's the Baltimore Colts, not the Baltimore Ravens back then. He has two picks. They name him MVP of the losing team. Um, next year, they win the Super Bowl. He gets another interception, but that first time he wins MVP, they lose. That was 1970. Um, they win in 71, the Cowboys. It must have been the theme back then because the year before Jerry West had won the finals MVP uh, for the Lakers when they lost in the finals. So I think back in the late 60s, 70s, they were trying to, with these MVP awards in the finals, trying to, Super Bowls, trying to figure out how to give those out. They're going off to losers in the beginning. Now, of course, that's, that's not going to happen. Never going to happen again. Um, but but that's that was Chuck's, I think, legacy. When I think of him, he's that guy who won an MVP on a losing team, but his resume speaks for itself. Um, All-around guy, 25 interceptions, 26 sacks. Should have been so long ago. I'm glad he is still alive today um, to be there for his bust when he sees 
a much younger bust than what he looks like today um, because at that ceremony, he will be 87 years old. So Chuck Holly, congratulations. So glad you were able to get in. This is a guy who started his career in 1958 with the Bears, retired for a season. He might have just missed the season. I could have sworn he retired for a season, came back with the Cowboys, and then became a Hall of Famer. So again, Bears had drafted a linebacker who, who ends up in the Hall of Fame, but he had, uh, I guess, missed. I'm I'm a little confused. Now. I thought he retired, but maybe he just missed the season 1960 um, and then went to the Cowboys. Either or, missed the season with the Bears, comes to Dallas in 61, and then you know becomes a Hall of Fame linebacker for those Dallas teams. And then finally, we'll get to the coach. Um, unfortunately, this is someone, again, who is no longer with us, but has waited a very long time to be in here. Is one of the more influential coaches in NFL history, um, and that's Don Coriel. Uh, Don is someone who never won a Super Bowl. That might be why he's not in the Hall of Fame, or was not in the Hall of Fame until right now. Uh, he won five divisional titles coaching for St. Louis, um, as well as what I think we all probably remember him for the Chargers. But he's one of those coaches that, you know, he won 100, over 100 games in the NFL and over, sorry, videos going on, uh, football reference I have on. Um, we'll cut that out. Um, but what Don did, you know, he won over 100 games in college and the NFL. But what he did is he influenced and is kind of like a pioneer again, right? As I said earlier in the podcast, of what we see today. You know, he's one of the first to start using two tight ends in offense. He's one of the first to just start airing it out. Um, Dan Fouts, the quarterback, benefited from this the most. Like, the Chargers, when he was the coach, led the NFL in passing six straight years from 78 to 84. Um, Dan Founts was averaging 320 passing yards a game uh, one year in 81, which was the record until Breeze broke it 30 years later. Up until this point, teams are still, again, running back is everything. We're drafting running backs in the top five every year, number one picks. Um, they run the landscape of how things work. Dan Fouts and him start airing it out in this offense. Dan Fouts won the second player ever, I believe, to throw for 4,000 passing yards in a season. Um, they're spreading the team out. They got, you know, Jefferson out there. They got Joyner. They got Winslow Sr. And it was just one of the most fun, fun teams to ever watch. And again, pieces from this offense. I think when we think of how the NFLs play today, we think of Bill Walsh, the West Coast offense, all of that. But this is the beginning of that. And I feel like we don't think about this enough. And it's it's all because of Don. Um, now, I can see at times maybe why he's been left off. You know, he his defense was pretty terrible. Um, they never made a Super Bowl. He was three and six in the playoffs. But again, when we're talking about the Hall of Fame, it's sometimes like influence, right? And And Don really influenced where the game went. And was the first to really do this and take a chance. It's not easy to be the first person or one of the first people to really go all in on a certain method. And even though it never led to a Super Bowl, the Chargers were in the playoffs quite a bit when he was there. And they didn't make runs at the Super Bowl a number of seasons. They just fell short. Um, you know, I think if he wins the Super Bowl, maybe even gets to the Super Bowl, um, maybe gets in earlier. But Don is someone who 
has deserved it for a while. I think has had a lot of advocates for it and, and he's, and he's finally, finally in. So um, he passed away back in 2010. So his family will have to accept on his behalf, uh, but he's one of the more influential coaches in NFL history. Um, and he rightfully, rightfully belongs in the hall of fame. So he rounds out the class of 2023. Uh, I have no problems with this class. I think everyone that got in deserves to be in the hall of fame. Now, were there players that maybe I thought should have gotten this class before others? Kind of, um, you know, I thought Revis maybe should have waited a year in one of the, the wide outs that have been waiting for a while, the Holtz, the, the Reggie Waynes, I thought maybe they should have got in. But really, I don't have a problem with it. Again, I always thought Reeves would get in. I predicted he would get in. Um, it's just so, some people wait, like a DeMarcus Ware that I don't think should wait. So Dora Reeves waiting a year wouldn't have been a big deal. But again, end of the day, all these guys, Hall of Famers. But a lot of people, right, who were finalists are great names that, that are not in and have to wait another year. The Jared Allens of the world, Dwight Freenies, Devin Hester. Again, Torrey Holt, Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, Darren Woodson, Cowboys safety has been waiting a very long time. Patrick Willis, Albert Lewis, cornerback with, again, over 40 picks, kind of snuck back on the list. Um, so, so all those guys are holding over going to next year. But next year, some big names come on the ballot. Um, Julius Peppers, who I think many are assuming, as, as well as me, I'll do an episode, but I'm assuming, guys, no doubt, Hall of Fame first ballot guy. Antonio Gates, the great tight end for the Chargers. He's on the ballot next year. And then there's players like Eric Berry, uh, Jamal Charles, uh, even Brandon Marshall. Some names coming on the ballot that will pique some interest. Um, my, my guy, Sebastian Janikowski, is on the ballot next year. I don't think he should be a Hall of Famer, but God, did that guy have a boot. And then there's people, like I saw this the other day, people were talking about Andrew Luck, like, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? I saw that on Twitter yesterday from an actual pretty verified account. Uh, I don't know if that person was just trying to get people riled up. I love Andrew Luck. I, I love his story. I love that he retired and he can be healthy for the rest of his life. And he doesn't have to maybe worry about some of the things that players that play forever have to worry about now. That's awesome for him. But the guy is not a Hall of Famer. Um, I'll have a discussion. I'll probably do a pod on him. Because he had a great career. It's fun to look at. He threw 40 touchdowns one year. But he's not a Hall of Famer. Jordan Nelson's on the list, too. Uh, Green Bay's great wide receiver. I like to look at him a little more. But some big names coming on. Again, especially Gates and Peppers. Those are the heavy hitters. And then we got all these holdovers from this year. So the 2024 class will be interesting. Um, I don't really have episodes on anyone that's a holdover other than Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne, Darren Woodson, and Willie Anderson. So four. I guess that's a little more than I thought. But I have episodes on four of those guys if you want to listen to what I think, if I think they should ever get in or not. Um, so go check those out. All the others, I'll have to figure out a way to do most of these by the time you know next year comes around. So I have my work cut out for me. But next year's class should be talent-wise – Close to what this year's was. I really do think this is one of the better classes of recent memory, uh, just because Ronnie Barber and Zach Thomas are people I felt like shouldn't have been waiting so long. And then Thomas Ware and Revis are all worthy of first ballot. So the modern air for this year, I think is one of the best we've had in several years. 
um, even with, you know, no quarterbacks or running backs or wide receivers, the glory positions, um, really good class. So 2024 will be almost just as good. Um, but will be really interesting who gets, you know, the spots for the modern era. And then again, all the veterans, there's such a backlog. I'm glad three got in this year. We'll have to take a closer look at some of the people that'll be up for that too. But that is all we have for the podcast today. Uh, thank you for listening again. Hopefully your Super Bowl hangover. I don't know if listening to me babble um, helps at all, but hopefully the hangover is subsiding. Um, it was a great Super Bowl and uh, I won some money because the Eagles won. Uh, but that is all we have for today. Again, next Monday will be a normal episode where we talk about the cancy of someone who is on the outside looking in. Again, congratulations to all the 2023 inductees. I'll look forward to their induction this August. Um, if you don't already, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Pot of Fame. Follow us on Substack. If you've done all those things, you've done the homework. So um, enjoy your week, and we will talk to you next time. Take care.